turning this evening to Proverbs chapter 15 as we continue our study on prayer. And here we have both a promise and a warning. We scour the scriptures to find those prayer promises to help us and aid us as we seek the Lord's face, as we pour out our hearts before him and the needs of our families and our church. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29. We're going to consider just the verse there. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. What a sobering scriptural truth. What a powerful declaration the Holy Spirit records here for us. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. I want to take just the first part of this verse, which of course is a warning, and notice that the Lord is far from the wicked. There is a sense that the Lord is omnipresent. One of his glorious attributes, he is everywhere all the time. What a comfort that is to our hearts tonight, to know that no matter where we go or what we're doing, whatever the circumstance may be, the Lord is near. Did he not promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? Peter tells us the Lord is at hand. The earth cannot contain him. His presence is so real, so ever-present. Time and space cannot contain the Holy One. The psalmist declared this truth in Psalm 139 when he's searching the heart of the matter. He says there, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... He's going to these impossible places for a mortal to go and said, but God is there. Even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. So we have to ask ourselves the question, if God is everywhere present with that capacity, how is it that the writer here could say in Proverbs that the Lord is far from the wicked? The Holy Spirit is referring to a relational sense. There are two categories of people in this verse that are clearly outlined for us, the wicked and the righteous. The Lord is far from the wicked. We see counterposed there, but he is... He heareth the prayer of the righteous. What a promise that is at a prayer meeting that the Lord hears the prayer of the righteous. The wicked, of course, are the unsaved. They're unregenerated. They have never experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God in salvation. Fallen and lost as we all are by nature, bound by their own lust and stubbornness. The scripture makes it clear, Isaiah 53, verse 6, all, and all means all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus declared in John 3, when Nicodemus, that high-ranking man of the Sadducees, of the, of the Sanhedrin who came to Jesus asking about salvation, Our Lord said, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The Apostle Paul goes to great lengths in Romans to prove that all of us are born sinners and therefore are far apart, far away off from God. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That passage in Romans is quoting from the Psalms, Psalm 14, The fool is set in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. The Lord looketh down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. What was his pronouncement? God is seeking. Remember when he came down to earth in the days just before the flood? And what was the assessment? He he looks down to see if any are seeking after him. They're all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We're born sinners, it is true, separated from his righteousness, far from him in our souls. This distance described here in our text in Proverbs fifteen twenty nine, is a spiritual chasm. We have a tract that we give out that, that shows and tries to illustrate uh, salvation and it has this huge canyon between man and God and The only thing that bridges that, of course, is the work of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ. David declared in Psalm 51, verse 15, in that beautiful psalm of repentance, he acknowledged that I was shapen in iniquity, going back to being conceived in his mother's womb, and in sin did my mother conceive me. When the rich man in Luke 16 died, and the Bible tells us he immediately went to hell, because not because he was rich, but because he was lost. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. You see, death is the great equalizer. Rich, poor, no matter who we are, we all will die. And in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, And likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now is he comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. That is the description of the lostness of man, this great gulf, this chasm that separates us that cannot be bridged by human effort. Our Bible tells us here, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. It is not so much that the Lord is far from them as that they are far from him. The Bible tells us your sins have separated between you and God. It builds a wall. Our sin does that, and and that, that sin drives a wedge so vast that eternity and time and space cannot span it. But not only are the lost far from the Lord, when they leave this life and go to their eternal 
abode, which the scripture describes as hell, they are far from the Lord, not only in that capacity, in a future sense, will they be away from the Lord forever, and that is death. Death is separation from God. But not only will they one day be far from the Lord, they are now in this present life as well. They have no fellowship with Him. They have not the smile of His blessing and help. Now, we will have to say there is in a sense that all enjoy the common grace of God. The sun rose on the wicked as well as the righteous today. All have benefited from the laws of gravity and the gracious gifts of God that that no money could buy and no one could, could come up with if the Lord did not lavish them upon us. But the smile of His fellowship, the loss, their sins mound up between them in His sweet presence and forge this impassable wall. They are cut off from Him. This is death, to be eternally separated from God. Remember when... Satan tempted Eve. He said, you shall not surely die. She would die one day, but what she did not and could not have understood or perceived is that she would immediately die spiritually. Gone was the fellowship that they so lavishly enjoyed with the Lord. The Bible depicts him visiting with them in the cool of the day. That song we often sing that... I may be wrong in a, 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 a putting it to this, but I always re, I'm thinking of the, when I come to the garden alone and while the dew is still on the roses, that picture of walking and talking with the Lord, that beautiful picture that, and that privilege that Adam and Eve had was immediately gone. And instead of seeking him, what did they do? They hid. They tried to cover themselves. They tried to hide from him. And so that's what sin does. It cuts us off from him. And spiritually they died. The soul was dead so that they could not perceive. And all the harmony, the joy, and the peace that had been there was lost. And fear and blame and sin and rebellion was replaced with those beautiful graces of being right with him. In a sense, it was the the opposite of being saved. It was becoming lost. You see, we are born sinners. Adam and Eve had to become sinners. And we must be saved. There must be a a transformation to make us from this lost condition into a a right relationship with God. They went from a right relationship with Him, an innocence with Him, a perfect harmony with Him, to a lostness and a separation. And immediately they sensed it. They ran to hide. They did not want to face God because of their sin. This is death. The lost are dead in their trespasses and sin and are dead even as they live out their existence. It is a living deadness apart from the Lord, just existing here on earth. The wicked have none of the privileges of the saved, none of the precious spiritual blessings that we prize. Dr. John Gill, in his commentary on this verse of Proverbs, writes, not as, The Lord is far from the wicked, not as to his essence, or his powerful presence, which is everywhere, for he is God omnipresent, but with respect to his favor and goodwill, he is far from helping in distress, from hearing their cries when they apply to him in desperate circumstances. Nor does he admit them to nearness and communion with him now as he does the righteous. Nor will he receive them to himself at the last day, but bid them to depart from him. But they are far from him and from his law and from all righteousness, And he is far from them and keeps them 
at a distance from him. What a horrible, horrible thing. Now, I admit that most people don't like to hear this, and many who are hearing it will not agree with it. But I didn't write the verse that we just read, the Lord is far from the wicked. That's exactly what the Scripture tells us. The religious person, the person who's not been regenerated or made new by God's mercy and His grace, they recall at such teaching. They argue, we're all God's children. He is our Heavenly Father. And surely we enjoy the smile of His favor and the privilege of His presence and His help. But what does the Scripture teach? Someone may think that, but the Scripture teaches quite the opposite. We have it here. If this were the only text, it would be true. But over and over again, the Bible underscores this teaching that the Lord is far from the wicked. Look back in verse 8 of this very chapter. We have to go nowhere but this, this chapter to see the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Even the, the, the worship that a, a lost person would give to the Lord is wicked because it's, in self, uh, it's a self-will worship. It's the worship of Cain. It's not based on faith. It's not based on obedience. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked, the, the lifestyle of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. That word way there means a well-trodden road. It's how a person lives. Their, their bent, their lifestyle, their way of living. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Twice in two verses he uses the worst description of God's feeling toward sin. In that word abomination. It's an abomination to the Lord, but he loveth them that followeth after what? Righteousness. What a statement that is. It's one thing that the wicked are far from God. They're born that way in sin as we all are. But it's much worse truth that God is far from the wicked. It's a distance that cannot be fathomed. It cannot be measured. You see, we, we measure, when you study astronomy, you measure light years and time that, that scientists have had to devise ways to even comprehend how far the stars all are. But spiritual measurements cannot be measured with any imagination or scientific achievement of man. Just as eternity cannot be measured on a clock or a calendar, the distance that we're talking about here is immeasurable. We cannot fathom it. Dr. John Phillips writes, the proverb states that God is far from the wicked. This is much more serious than the wicked being far from God. When John Wesley went to Georgia to preach the gospel to the American Indians, he was far from the kingdom of God. He wrote in his journal, I have learned what I least of all suspected, that I who went to America to convert the Indians was never myself converted to God. Here a missionary lost. God was pursuing him, however. On May the 24th, 1738, Wesley opened his Bible in a haphazard way and read Mark 12:34. Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. That night, he said, I went very unwilling to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading from the introduction to Luther's epistle to the Romans. To this, he was just reading from the introduction to the commentary. That night, he was saved. He was far from the kingdom of God when he arrived in Georgia to preach to the Indians. 
He was not far from the kingdom of God when he opened his Bible that Wednesday night, that Wednesday morning, but he was in the kingdom of God by 8.45 that night. But what about the wicked man, he writes, who has no thought of God? God has not crossed his thought patterns today. God will pursue him just as he pursued Hagar, Jacob, Ahasuerus, Saul of Tarsus, and many others down the long trail of his grace. However, if a person persists in running away and staying on their bent, their way, and crosses that mysterious boundary line that all have the possibility of crossing between God's mercy and his wrath, then God will be far away from that person for all eternity. That's why the preaching of the gospel is so urgent. That's why Paul says, Behold, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. It ought to always be preached in the emergency of today, this moment. No witnesser, no soul winner, no Sunday school teacher, no gospel preacher should ever let anyone think they could have the luxury of waiting and thinking about their condition. When the Holy Spirit has arrested you and shown you your lost condition, you should throw yourself on God's mercy and beg Him for His mercy and forgiveness and salvation. Why wait? Deuteronomy 4 verse 7 asks, For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them, so near unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? God meets us at Calvary. The cross of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, forms a beautiful bridge, a sure bridge between our sin and God's holiness. That great gulf that nothing else can can bridge, the work of Jesus Christ does it. So there's no work on our part. It is all finished. When Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished. God's grace and the gift of His salvation is available to all who will call on Him. The cross of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, forms a bridge that brings the sinner to God. Psalm 34 says in verse 4, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, another glorious prayer promise, and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 14, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of some of their troubles. The Lord delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as are of a contrite spirit. Psalm 85, verse 9, Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him. It's not that the Lord does not desire to save, He can be near to that one who is lost if they'll turn to him in repentance and call on him. Psalm 145, verse 16, The Lord is nigh to all that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Remember the Lord told the lost pitiful woman at the well, They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is a heart matter, but it must be based on the word of God, the truth that God gives us. You shall know the truth And the truth will set you free. Ephesians 2 verse 12 tells us that at at that time you were without Christ. Think about that 
condition that you were before salvation. He, he tells the Ephesians to go back and recall that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You're not a Jew by birth, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, the living dead, we might call them. But now, oh, what a contrast. In Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, and having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, the warfare, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both, uh, both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain enmity thereby. Oh, the glorious work of Christ, what he has done for us. Righteous people are, are made righteous by the blood of Christ, and they can come into his presence at any time, day or night. The writer of the Hebrews says, Come boldly to the throne of grace. Can you imagine sinners who were once cut off, far from, from the Lord, being invited to come boldly? How could we boldly approach the creator of the universe, the spotless one, the holy one? We come in the stead of another, one who has come before us, one who has entered into the heavenlies and making intercession for us, his finished work on our behalf so that we can stand in grace this night as we bring our petitions before the throne of grace. Yes, we can come boldly. Does he not say, come unto, come, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Oh, what, what promises are ours. We love those prayer promises, but they're conditional, aren't they? They're for those who are in Christ, those who've trusted in the salvation that Christ offers. We can stay as long as we need to. You never have to wear out your, your welcome at the throne of grace. Some may need to stay all night before the throne of grace. Jacob wrestled with him all night, didn't he, to the break of day. We can stay as long as we like. We, we never wear out our, our welcome there before him. We can come at any time. We can tell him anything. There, there are things that we would tell at the throne of grace we would never tell to another human being. Our fears, our sins, our condition, those things deep within us that we loathe, those, those longings that we desire the Lord to work, that we'd be afraid that someone else might even laugh about. All kinds of things. Come and bring them to the Lord tonight as we enter into prayer. Problems. Problems you don't even want anybody else to know about. Hopes. Fears ambitions, disappointments, family situation, finances. Bring them all. There's nothing that cannot be brought to the throne of grace tonight. What a blessed privilege it is. Who wouldn't want such a privilege as this? What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. The saddest thing is that it is often a neglected privilege of the child of God. Those who are already able to come and invited to come and urged to come and commanded to come so often don't use this highest of privileges. Oh, we think about 
knowing important people. I heard a conversation yesterday of these two teenagers, and one, or there was a few teenagers there. One said, have you ever met a really famous person? And the other said, yes. And they said, how did you feel? And the other one said, I, don't, I, did, I kept trying to eavesdrop to find out who the famous person was. Probably I would not know if it was some young star or something. I wouldn't even know. But the other one, I never heard the name. But said, I was so nervous. I was, my hands were sweaty, and I was just shaking there. And they were just going over, and I thought, to think about the privilege, the blessed privilege of knowing the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, if you were invited to tea at Buckingham Palace, you'd be really nervous, wouldn't you? Or if you were invited to the Rose Garden for some uh, reception with the president, you'd be nervous to, 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 to meet someone of such stature. But we come... In, in with great grace, and we come with, with even with power and authority that the Lord has given us as his children. Well, John Newton wrote, Come, my soul, your suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid you pray, therefore he will not turn away. You're coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. With my burden I begin, Lord, remove this load of sin. Let thy blood for sinners spilt set my conscience free from guilt. Lord, I come to thee for rest. Take possession of my breast. There thy blood-bought right maintain and without rival reign. While I am a pilgrim here, let thy love, my spirit, cheer as my guide, my guard, my friend. Lead me to my journey's end. Show me what I have to do. Every hour my strength renew. Let me live a life of faith. Let me die thy people's death. I love that phrase where he says, you're coming to a king. Large petitions to him bring. It would be like a sparrow wondering if he could breathe too much air or use up too much air or a little little minnow in the sea, wondering if he was using up too much water. The Lord's promises and his grace are so rich and so near to us. The disciples, on the, after the resurrection, remember, were walking dejectedly down that road to Emmaus. They were very heavy-hearted, and I might be talking to someone who's heavy-hearted tonight. Depression or your spiritual condition or the circumstances of life have caused you to be weighed down or bowed down. Well, you're in good company. A lot of people uh, are in that same, same category. These disciples felt that all their hopes were gone, that they had trusted the Lord in vain, that the Messiah, they believed this was the promised Messiah. How could it be? He was dead. God doesn't die. Where was he? If he was... They, rumored that his body had been stolen and to them it was all over with and they had trusted in him and had come to him in faith and now they were walking dejectedly down that road that dusty road alone and they thought they were alone but guess who was near them the lord is with us he never leaves his children and he was there and he joined them as they were walking down that road People would come and go in that day, and they'd join up with people and walk along. Most people walked from place to place. And he began to talk. And they, the Bible says, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. That's what we do in prayer, isn't it? You just tell the Lord everything that's happened to you. You tell him all your heart, all your desires. Tell him your sin. 
Tell him what you had need of tonight. Oh, just talk to him. And they, they told him all the things that had happened as if that the Lord didn't know what had happened. That's what we do, though, don't we? We go over it again for our benefit. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near. May I remind you that Jesus draws near to prayer meetings where two or three are gathered in the midst of them. There I am in the midst of them. He came to them while they communed together and reasoned. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And then he opened the scriptures and taught them all things concerning himself. Well, we've come to a prayer meeting tonight and we're about to go before the throne of grace. And I hope as these men lead us in prayer that you'll open your heart, that you'll tell him your need. Perhaps your need is salvation. There may be someone listening tonight. The Lord is far from you because your heart is unregenerate. Your sins stand between you and him. But you can pray the prayer of repentance. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. And he'll hear that prayer. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful way to start a prayer meeting is by coming to know the Lord in salvation. He heareth the prayer of the righteous. Men, if you'll come and lead us in prayer, I want to remind us that the Bible tells us he hears the prayer of the righteous.